Welcome back to a brand new episode of Sustainably Influenced with me, Charlotte Williams. And me, Bianca Foley. This season is all about the people behind the product. In a society where everything has become so disposable and waste is one of the biggest problems affecting our society, we wanted to go back to a time where what you owned was treasured. Come with us on a journey this season where we chat with experts who are taking us back to a time where craftsmanship and ethical consumption were key, but making it suitable for today's modern society. We are back with another episode of Sustainably Influenced and today we're kind of mixing it up a little bit. This one doesn't necessarily fit in with the whole season, but... I didn't say it like that. No, it does. It does. It fits in, but it's not on the same trajectory as the rest of them. We're not talking... It's the bookend of the season. Yeah, (laughs) that's a nice way of putting it. I like that. But we're kind of sharing this one a little Mm. bit, which is nice. And we are going to be talking about subscription models and how they've made our lives a little bit easier and made us as, I guess, (laughs) just society a little bit more eco-aware and a bit more sustainably focused. Yes. I did a lot of research... Yep. for this episode and my god I could probably go on for about two days talking about this stuff but we'll keep it we'll keep it as brief as possible <laughs> she says looking at three pages of notes oh um, so I think for people that don't really know I want to talk a little bit about subscription models and what they actually are so a subscription model is a business model in which where a customer pays a recurring fee or subscription mm-hmm. in order to receive products or a service They became very, very popular and it's kind of changed the trajectory of how we as a society consume media, art and just products and like general Mm. commercial services and things like that. Found a really interesting stat actually on this. Yeah. From an unexpected source. So Royal Mail. (laughs) Oh, go on Royal Mail. I love when I say Royal Mail. I go super cockney. Royal Mail. Royal Mail. Royal Mail. (laughs) Get my letters in the post. (laughs) So Royal Mail has reported that 26% of Brits are now signed up to subscription boxes, either for themselves or as a gift for others. The value of this market in the UK... I'm laughing because I'm every time I read this stat, I'm like, oh! So the value of this market in the UK is predicted to be £1.8 billion by 2025. The pandemic and sort of over the past two years massively accelerated that, obviously. And the trend has really grown with consumers, especially because for two years we weren't essentially allowed outside. Mm. So I think you signed up to things to give yourself that little bit of joy and to know that things were coming in. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I know we both had things. Yeah, definitely. Do you know, I had a friend who signed up, two friends actually, signed up to a gin subscription I was say, over gin of the month, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and the craft beers. The craft just beers. Just to keep the lockdown spicy. And I, I, enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed listening to how deeply they got into it because that's all they had. <laughs> Today's article is entitled The Pandemic is Boosting the Shift to a Subscription Economy. But is this shift delivering sustainability benefits? So I've pulled a couple of key facts and kind of lines from the article because I think it's probably better to do it that way instead of trying to read through the whole thing and Mm -hmm. just fumbling. So a couple of the points are, so the COVID-19 pandemic has in short changed people's habits, whether it be shopping, working, eating or socialising. And recent surveys show that one in five UK homes signed up for a new video streaming service during the COVID-19 lockdown. And I was one of them. (laughs) Uh, so I, can, I think I got Disney during that time, Disney Plus during yeah, that time. Yeah, I did as well. Yeah. Shout um, out to Disney Plus because they are doing it. You have greys now and oh, my, my life goodness. has been changed. The subscription-based model is supposed to be good for the planet because of the transition from an ownership model to a sharing-based one. And what it should do is to maximise resource efficiency and minimise waste. Mm. However, (laughs) there are unseen environmental costs such as excess packaging, costly returns and returns ending up in landfill as well. That's the other thing. And the potential to encourage overconsumption when you think about it. We're going to go through in this episode and speak about a lot of different kinds of subscription models, but there's there's heaps of them. So this is why the research was so extensive that was done for this episode. So when it works well, the subscription model can result in waste reduction and more carbon efficient direct-to-door delivery and a wider range of environmentally friendly alternatives, for example, vegan and plastic-free alternatives, that you don't find just on your day-to-day mm. high street shopping or 
you can't always find those eco alternatives that are a better quality. Yeah, and when you do, like I was on um, Oxford Street yesterday, but there was this pop-up shop that was like eco product pop-up shop on Oxford Street, which I was like, whoa, this is random. But that's the only time you ever see like everything you want in one place. Yeah. You go to the supermarket, you really have to hunt for stuff, but then yeah. you see these pop-up shops, but then they go after a week. And yeah, then... and that's the problem. You don't always have the time to head down there. Yeah, but they had everything I would yeah. ever need and want in there. It's just interesting. You never really see that. But then also, you kind of have to go out of your way to find these places. So yeah. having these subscription boxes. And you have to follow things all the time and be yeah. really on it with social media. And I'm not that person. I never know what's going on. But... Also, I feel that it alienates a whole oh, yeah. section of society because you've got a lot of people that aren't on socials that don't really want to use the internet like that. And especially if you think about older people, that's not how they consume. So yeah. why can't things be in those trusted shops that yeah. they love and they've always gone to and change their habits as well? But anyway, that's for a different kind of discussion. <laughs> so let's try and list a few different types of subscription models. Okay, TV, which is what we've spoken about. So you've mm-hmm. got like... Netflix, you've got Disney, you've got Amazon Prime, you've got... <laughs> it hurt you to say that. What? <laughs> Amazon Prime. <laughs> Listen, I can't lie. Yeah. I don't have a subscription. Same. But I know somebody who has a subscription. And then you, and then you use it. <laughs> and then I use yeah, the subscription same. when I need to. <laughs> yeah, even like some of the bigger TV companies like Sky and Virgin, aren't they? They've got like streaming. Yeah, Now TV. Yeah, Now TV. They've got loads Hulu. of... Diff- who, who owns Hulu? I have no idea. But yeah, all of these things. And then you've got like Paramount Plus. So in relation to sustainability when it comes to TV streaming, the online parameters of these services kind of allow anyone with a subscription to consume content on any device, whether it's mobile, tablet, laptop, whatever you're using. But it means that a household doesn't have to have a physical television. So mm-hmm. it's reducing the number of TVs that need to be produced. So there is something there, but I wouldn't say that that is a big tick, thumbs up, green, eco, yeah. sustainability thing. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't yeah. give it the... We're getting very gadget show here. I know. Would you recommend it? Big... <laughs> and anybody who hasn't seen us yet, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm gonna, no, actually, we're on the gadget show every Wednesday at 7 Seven. Yeah, you can catch us on My5 as well, which is a streaming service. <laughs> oh my God, how have we not mentioned this in the entire season of this podcast? Who knows, who knows? We were trying to keep them separate, but it's time to amalgamate the two of them. Oh my goodness. We're on TV now, guys. We're, we're that cool. Stars. We're TV stars. But other kinds of subscription models that we have are beauty boxes have been huge. Oh my goodness, yeah. Alcohol subscriptions, as you've said, there's a lot of different fashion ones and they're all based on different things. So um, there's lots of, there's the food. How did I forget food? Oh yeah, I have loads of food subscriptions. Why loads? Why do you have multiple food subscriptions? I pause them every now and again. Oh, okay. like, I get bored. So I use Grubby. I love Grubby. Oh, what's Grubby? Vegan. It's like HelloFresh. But it's vegan and it's better. Okay. The recipes are just better. Okay. So grubby is great. A lot of people have said that to me about HelloFresh. And when I used it, I got really bored. Yeah. And Gusto is supposed to be much better. Oh, really? But it's a bit more spenny. I've never used Gusto. I also use All Plants just for frozen food delivery. There's also car subscriptions. Yeah. So there's quite a few that are like very much, well, they claim to be eco Focus because mm-hmm. it's all about electric vehicles, EVs, which we've discussed in the past. So we're speaking to Hui Ferreira, for those who aren't Portuguese speakers like myself, Rui Ferreira. So we're speaking to the COO of Onto, which is a electric vehicle subscription. I feel like subscription, is that the right word? It's a leasing company. Um, still a subscription model. Yeah, it's still a subscription model. So they do short-term leases, so it's like a month-on-month contract. So I've actually got a contract with them and oh. I've been using them uh, disclaimer they gave me a month free and then I didn't stop <laughs> out of pure ease because yeah. it was just easy to use and I didn't have a car and I really needed one so we're on like our fifth month now oh wow um, brilliant we've got this nice little Corsa and it's an electric vehicle and it's quite easy so we're going to speak to him about that whole world and that model nice car when it doesn't break down when you don't forget oh to charge God, that is actually my fault I was <laughs> The amount of shit I've been given because that happened. I was like, yeah, I know you're supposed to charge the car. Sorry. Do you know how much that kills me? It nearly happened again as well. You literally live life on the edge. You give me stomach aches with how, like, 
Emilio genuinely, every time I leave the house, the chaos. He's like, Are you going to be okay? And I'm like, Babe, I have survived until now. <laughs> but for now, let's have a chat about a couple of things that I think we use, which makes. Ooh, okay. Yeah, things like. Well, I don't want to say things that we use, but things that would make sense for our lives. Okay, yeah. So I want to talk about, about spend some money now. Not necessarily, <laughs> not necessarily. But I wanted to talk about how sustainable some of these subscription model or subscription boxes are. But I wanted to talk about beauty, food, and I wanted to talk about a couple of fashion ones as well. Oh, nice. So for a monthly fee, customers can trial curated edits of beauty products. And some of them are put together by experts. Some of beauty people, like yeah. makeup artists, some of them do like travel size products. Some of them do exclusive products. Mm. There's a lot out there in the world of beauty. I um, love a beauty box. I'm not going to lie. I bloody love a beauty yeah, box. Yeah, I have one that I'm I don't currently subscribe to. Who? I love the Liberty one. I have been sent quite a few in my time because I used to do beauty influencing. Um, yeah. Now I don't really do that much influencer work. I remember those days. Those days they were good. I used to have a lot of product. But Liberty sent me their box a couple of months ago and I'm, I've got a subscription and it's really good. And there's some full-size products and some little testers. One of the testers, I can't remember the brand it is, but they're quite like, they're not mainstream brands. It's a very much a discovery box. But that's and I kind love of Liberty's that. vibe there anyway, though, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But I'm obsessed. The thing I love about subscription boxes, no matter what the genre is, is that you find products that you wouldn't normally find outside of the shop. And a thing I love about being an influencer is that we get to test products that we probably wouldn't always buy. So we get a lot of exclusive stuff yeah. that we're able to then buy. There's so much stuff I've been given as an influencer in the past as a gift to try, and then I've gone on to buy it. Yeah. But without being given it, I would never have seen it. And this I think subscription boxes are that for like non-influencers. It's like you're finding these products that you wouldn't normally like go out and buy, and then you find some gems, and then you invest in them yourselves. Yeah. So big fan. Yeah. I think in terms of sustainability, though, Mm. My thing is with a lot of these beauty ones, you get so many products. Yeah. But it's, I love what you said there because you're given the access and you're able to discover new brands. And then you have the choice to buy it again. If you don't want yeah. to, you don't want to. But then you can also yeah, give, give it to a friend away. or give it away. Yeah, so it's access, it's the sharing economy. It's, there's yeah. a lot of things, but we all know, I don't want to say we all know, but we know this within ourselves that a lot of beauty products aren't made of necessarily planet-friendly materials in terms of their packaging. Yeah, they've got They're so much better, better now, yeah. yeah. but Actually, they've got better since we've started the podcast. Because so that was years, one yeah. of our big things, was like we were so shocked at how bad... Was it like 75% of bathroom products aren't recyclable? I think it was higher than that. Oh, yeah. But that was like the first stat that we were ever given on the podcast, that we were like, whoa! And now things have changed a lot in that time, which is great. One box I actually want to really mention mm. is Birchbox. So they released their sustainability campaign to provide transparency around eco-friendly and like sustainably minded choices within their mm. boxes. And they're focusing on three areas. So reducing waste, recyclability and reusability and Birchbox packaging materials. So they are made in the world's first anaerobic digestion renewable energy plant. Try saying that five times fast. Oh my God, I didn't even know what that means. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was just like, this sounds amazing, whatever yeah. it is, to facilitate energy for the manufacture of corrugated sheet boards. So they're doing it in a really like anaerobic way, which is really cool. And the energy plant itself is fueled by food and drink waste. So I wanted to mention that because I thought that was a very cool yeah. bit of information that, again, I'm going to say it. Put this information out there. Make this part of your your marketing. Make, yeah. Shout about it on your... And your, we'll buy from you. Yeah, on your, your marketing. But Birchbox are OGs there because I remember yeah. buying a subscription used, to Birchbox. I, I used to have a subscription. When I was like ago. 24. Food boxes. I know like we've both tried a couple of different food subscription mm. services. Some are good and some not so good. Yeah. One in particular that I really did want to chat about is yeah. All Plants. And they're, they're, yeah, they're a vegan plant-based food subscription service. They champion through their dedication to sustainability and being a climate-aware business from sustainable nutrition to like total supply chain transparency. Mm. And I believe that they're a B Corp, aren't they? They are. And they're just hardcore sustainability heads. Activists, yeah. You know? And I really like that about them. And also, I have on-off 
subscribe to them for years. Um, and it's a frozen food. Yeah, I've got service. a really small freezer. So my freezer isn't big enough to home more than like four. Three, of, yeah. Four boxes. Three, yeah. three four at a push. <laughs> so I, I like that. Four at a push. Yeah, so I can't do too much, but it is really good. And the fact that it's frozen is pretty cool because I, I think I've discussed a few times, I hate cooking. So if I could just put it in the oven, that, that works for me. <laughs> so one thing that I wanted to mention about All Plants is that their food subscription service is continuously trying to improve through their packaging. Mm. You're going to like this. A mix of upcycled denim. What? Yeah. Offcuts from the cutting floor, which would have gone into the bin, and recycled plastic bottles are used for their insulation to keep the contents cooler for longer. I thought yeah, that was that's really wicked. cool. I didn't know that was a thing. You know I love me some upcycled denim for yeah, her stuff. <laughs> she says on the day that her denim launch launches. <laughs> yeah, my jeans collection launched with fanfare today, so yay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you'll be able to, this is coming out a couple of weeks after that. But yeah, so you yeah. can buy jeans that I designed on fanfarelabel.com. Well, they'll be wearing them already. Yeah. They've, they've come out, they'll be <laughs> listening, be like, oh, I'm, I'm wearing, wearing them. Jeans. That's amazing. Another leading food subscription service is HelloFresh. I've tried HelloFresh. I liked it. I don't think it was something I, I would do long term, only because yeah. I can't remember if it was them or what's the other one? No, I'm thinking of food delivery, like Oddbox. I love Oddbox. I bloody love Oddbox. I've been waiting for you to say Oddbox. Oddbox I love Oddbox. I love what they do. I love everything about it, apart from the delivery times. Yeah, they deliver at like 3am. It's because it's for certain people is actually impossible. Yeah, it's because there's less traffic so that it keeps their carbon emissions down. I totally understand it. But when you live somewhere like where I live, where there's no access, 3am and I'm on a main road. Yeah. Anybody can rock up and just take my odd box. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is something for them to think about. Yeah, so... Whereas in my house, they just... You can leave it, it there and yeah. it's, it's fine. And everyone knows it's mine. <laughs> but HelloFresh is the first global recipe box company committed to offsetting 100% of their direct carbon emissions. Mm. But yeah. Do you know why of, they're doing it? Why? Well, do you know how they're doing it? They're probably offsetting those emissions because they make their stuff... I find HelloFresh really bizarre. They're the ones that like knock on your door and they're like, hey, have you heard of HelloFresh? Really? Their like sales is really bizarre. Really old school. Really, really old school. And door I to door salesman for food. Because I don't like talking to strangers and I don't want anyone to knock on my door ever unless it's like my postman. So Even that's a stretch. <laughs> no, when he looked this morning, he was like, I've got a few packages from you. I was like, yeah, I've been on eBay this week. Sorry. And he was like, oh. Don't worry. The only thing about some of these subscription boxes in terms of food and sustainability, again, is the packaging. And with things like Gusto, with HelloFresh and with Grubby, is that the one that you mm-hmm. said? There's a lot of single-use plastic in a lot of the boxes I've found. Yeah. Like, that was one of the no, things. No, not with Grubby. Okay, good. Grubby puts everything in like little bags. That was the one thing that put myself and a lot of my friends off using yeah. Some of these. That's why I like Grubby actually. There is a little bit of plastic if they've got like herbs. Sometimes they come in plastic bags. Oh, okay. But um, generally they put things in cardboard. Do you know like when you go to McDonald's and put your cup in a cardboard holder? Oh yeah. They put things in like that kind of material. Oh like lovely. Tomatoes and stuff or paper bags. And oh it comes okay, in like Riverford. Box. Riverford do. Yeah, that. that kind of vibe. But there is a little bit of plastic. Whereas like Oddbox, there's literally nothing. It's just a cardboard box full of fruit and veg. Okay. Wicked. That's good to know. Mm. Moving on to fashion. Now, there's a lot of different fashion subscriptions. I can't think of any, so I'm actually ready for you to... You've got Stitch Fix. Oh. There's Lookiero. I don't know what that is. They send out clothes, you try the ones, but then if you don't like the ones that they've picked for you, it's a personal styling service, Ah. similar to Stitch Fix. But Stitch Fix is the oldest one out of those styling services. I think they've been around for, what, 10 years? I want to say 2011, I think they launched. And their style boxes can be received as a monthly subscription or you can do it as like an on-demand thing, which is Mm. quite cool. But how it works is your stylist will send you a bunch of things and you try on the things you want. And it's not a lot. I think it's five to to seven items. And you keep what you want and then you send back the rest, which I think is good, but can mm, the the, the overconsumption thing for me with styling... Boxes can be a little bit, it's a bit yeah, of a Yeah, because area. I guess you don't really need to be starred every month. No, exactly. You don't need new clothes. Cocoon Club them. is another one that we've both used. Oh, I like Cocoon Club. So Cocoon Club, we've both used. I actually didn't bring my bag with me today. Cocoon Club is a monthly subscription service for designer or luxury bags. 
It stocks all of your favourite designer brands. The monthly fee includes delivery, bag repairs and the actual loan of the bag itself. Yeah. And they've changed their model slightly. So I oh. believe you can do like a one-off one for like if you want a bag for a few days for like 20 quid or something. No. Yeah, which is really cool. I'm pretty sure I've paid for a subscription with them before because mm. I've also worked with them. They've lent me some bits for events, which has always been great. But I have thought in the past, I'd love to just have this bag for you know one event and they didn't have that option because you don't always need to carry around yeah. like a Diamante encrusted Prada bag that you want for one dress. You know? I, I used that bag last week. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it just to shoot for an article that I'm writing. Ah. So I actually borrowed that bag for a night from them. but that I was love a... how that's the one I went for. That's what you... <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> um, we're too similar. So another one that I wanted to mention is All Collective, which is a small startup, which is a subscription service for children's clothes. I think it's really cool. Do you know what? Kids nowadays are dressing so cool. I met the founder the other day and her daughter walked into this event that I was running and I looked at this kid and I thought, oh my God, you're so bloody stylish. How old is she? What kind like of age? Two. A two-year-old. <laughs> or like a one. I thought you were going to say 14. Sm- <laughs> it was a small baby. It was a small baby. That's all I could say. She rocked up with this beautiful little white shirt on. And it had like a big Peter Pan collar, a bit like your jacket that you've got today. But a white one. And then she had a little like shearling vest on, these cute jeans and boots. And I thought, oh my God, I know I'm short. I wish I was shorter to wear the child's clothes. I wanted to steal the baby's outfit. Listen to this woman talking about a two-year-old. The child was beyond stylish. <laughs> I would love to be able to just rock yeah, that exact so, I know some stylish kids that I'm like, wow. <laughs> so we're now going to speak to Bliss, the founder of All Collective. Let's get into the conversation. So Bliss, thank you so, so much for joining me. What we really want to know is how can subscription model services maximise resources and ensure that they're managing overconsumption? Um, so hi, I'm Bliss. I have about 14 years experience working in retail buying from luxury to high street and recently um, left my position as head of buying at COS to put my energy full time into All Collective, which is a kids clothing rental subscription service that I founded this year. So, I mean, in terms of maximizing resources, I see that subscription models actually offer a huge opportunity for companies to reduce overproduction. So a little bit more on the the production side to start with. When we look today at where we're at, we are a predominantly supply-driven economy, which means that most products are produced to a certain volume, then marketed and sold to the customer, which has kind of been made possible by things like Google Ads, influencer marketing, enabling brands to feel a bit more comfortable that if they don't nail a trend or get something right, there are a lot of avenues to convince the customer or make it attractive in another way. And with this model, speaking a bit more specifically to the fashion industry, I guess, their average sell-through rates are only about 60% on a season. So that means that the reality is 40% of product that is made is just never consumed, which is huge. (laughs) It's Is that specific to children's clothing? Uh, No, that's retail. That's fashion retail averages. And actually, I mean, 70% is often perceived as a a good sell-through standard in the industry. And it slipped over over years of trends changing faster than can be caught up with. That means subscription gives a huge opportunity, which makes me so excited that we can see a flip to that model in the industry. It's a real opportunity to shift to demand-driven selling meaning that we as a customer can let a customer know what we want, when we want it, how much we want, and the company can then produce to those levels rather than guessing quite a lot of what they're doing. So in terms of the production side, I see that as being the big opportunity to be more responsible as a business uh, through subscription models. I would say that comes with a bit of a caveat, though, because There's definitely a huge responsibility piece as a company when it comes to this, since consumers are influenced by brands. There's marketing that can make something seem like we need it when we don't. There's a lot of this type of overselling that is very easy to do as a company when you're constantly wanting to boost your numbers and sell more, be more profitable, which is natural as a business. But when we move to subscription model services, it really requires a relook at how we look at numbers and finances. And 
I found this moving from working within the retail industry in a, in a very linear model to setting up my own subscription-based business. You look at numbers completely differently. So, for example, you don't have that overspill of product that is just not consumed that you have to factor into your profits. So the numbers that you're selling can be less because you're not spending as much on the offset. You also look at marketing in a totally different way. It becomes less about more, more, more customers selling more, more, more. And actually, how do I keep those customers happy for a lifetime and support them? And that involves listening to the customer, hearing what they want and making in line with that rather than designing something, putting it out there and convincing them to like it. So I think it's really exciting in terms of how we consume with subscription models. It leads to a more collaborative approach together with consumers and and businesses if it's done in the right way, which naturally should lead to more conscious consuming. Definitely. I like the fact that you've said that about conscious consumption there, and because I guess the name of the game is to think about the impact on the environment. And do you think that the person, like the in-person product market, will eventually move completely online? And if so, what are the sort of benefits or pitfalls for the environment? In very, very short, I think no. (laughs) I think whilst we're still human, the need and desire for the human connection and experience will always be that emotional part of shopping that, that we just need to nurture in a different way so that that emotion isn't just connected to want, 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 and it's connected to experience and discussing and understanding from a company to a person. So it's how we use that in-person experience that I think um, needs to evolve. I also think what we see today is a much bigger challenge on the possibilities of selling or in-person experiences because our high streets get less and less and less exciting because they're unobtainable costing-wise for small companies. So it either leaves empty spaces or big conglomerates that are there. So I think the spaces that, that are there are not necessarily attractive today. And that requires a huge overhaul in how that's viewed. But as we were touching on just before, I think pop-ups are a huge thing moving forward. Uh, there's lots of these spaces coming in and, and a real resurgence on local high streets, not the big high streets, small local areas, bringing communities together and allowing brands to get out there and talk to their customers and be visible. So I think online plays its part and it's changed our lives and it's made a lot of convenience for us. And as we sort of explore Web 3.0, there's a lot of exciting experience sites to online that are there and coming up. But in real life, I think is needed just for human sanity. (laughs) I love that because that is something that I realise. I want to talk a little bit about your brand and give you a chance to shine. So in an area like children's clothing with a high turnover rate in terms of like Kids are always growing. How do you guys mitigate the kind of environmental impact? And can you just tell us a little bit more about All Collective? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll start with a bit of a scary fact, which is one of the reasons I started the business. And that is that kids are outgrowing seven sizes in the first two years. And if their growth spurts are not perfectly aligned with the season changes, that means there's even more wardrobe changes because they can grow. You buy new clothes and a month later it's freezing cold. So there is so many wardrobe changes, whether you like it or not. So I have started dubbing it the ultimate fast fashion, because whether you like it or not, you have to get the new clothes. You can love something and you can eke it out till they're like pedal pushers. But... (laughs) Yeah, it comes a point where you have to buy the new clothes. So it's a really scary industry. And I think it's one that is moving the fastest towards being circular. There is a really natural circular approach to kids wear when it comes to sharing and hand-me-downs that is already there and ingrained that makes it a lot more understandable and easy where it's taken maybe the rental market for adults a little bit longer to develop. So we set up All Collective as a a design-led kids' clothes rental subscription service. There are a few other rental services out there for children's wear. But I found that when I was shopping for my daughter, I wanted to buy already ethical and sustainable brands because I didn't want to be also adding to the problem of companies that are making things that are lower quality, that don't last. And I, I kind of wanted that brand story as well. And I wanted product that was to a certain design aesthetic, something quite minimal, quite unisex in its approach. And and I struggled to find that when it came to a sustainable solution to buying it. I could buy it new, 
but it was expensive and I knew I was supporting a small brand, but then I also had to do something with the product afterwards as well. So there was a lot of things that kind of pulled all collective together. So how we set it up now, we set it up as a rental model, meaning we have full control over the life of the product. You choose how many pieces you want in your wardrobe, you pay a monthly fee and you change the items when you're ready. So it makes it super flexible for the parent. You're not tied down to dates or things like this when you've got other things going on. And we also do all of our deliveries in-house. We're based out of East London at the moment, meaning we have control over our carbon emissions as well, because that's our shall we say, danger zone is when it comes to how many deliveries we're doing and the packaging and so on. So we're working with recycled, recyclable and high quality uh, packaging. That means we can reuse it and doing the, the delivery service in-house. And can I just say, I'm super impressed by what your offering is because I went online and I had a look and at the website. But I met Liz at an event that I was organising and the reason why I wanted her on the podcast to talk about her business was because I saw her daughter and she may be the most stylish child I have ever seen in my existence. I actually wanted every piece of clothing that she was wearing and she's what, she's what, one and a half? Yeah. Um, <laughs> super jealous. I was like, look at that shirt. Look at that gilet. Oh, she's so stylish. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's, got, she's born into it. Yeah, exactly. It's a great style because you've got a great offering. So yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> It's really nice because a couple of the other rental platforms out there, as you said, are more rental based and you rent it on a however many day kind of basis. But with this being subscription, it really does set you apart and your USP is different to a lot of the other platforms that are out there. And it makes it, I think, a little bit more convenient, as you said, for parents who don't have time, who don't have the flexibility and you need to be giving them that and making it as easy as possible. And I think the second-hand market for kids is also a massive part, but it does come with a lack of convenience. I mean, we know that so many kids' clothes are stored at home. The number is up in the hundreds of millions that is just stored in homes across the UK because there is a lack of time to sort through and arrange selling it on and searching for the items you want to buy it. So we're trying to bring that convenience for the people that perhaps don't have that time and can work with having what they want in fashion and not feel the guilt on it. (laughs) I think that's amazing. One final question. Has the development in tech, in media streaming and television aided sustainability or created more hindrances in the sort of consumption space? I would say this is very much, an, in my opinion, I don't feel super qualified here, but my, my thoughts are that it is evolving. I think media streaming and with everything in, in fashion and media, the volume of what is being put out there is just growing and growing and growing. And especially in things like reality TV, which is kind of the original influencer space that people see what someone's wearing and then decide they want to buy it. But I think that the positive shifts that are being made is to a more conscious awareness of this and what a positive influence can be made. And I I take the example of Love Island moving from being the ones that almost pioneered Boohoo's success to shifting to work with eBay, which has now had a huge impact in the rise of the secondhand market. So there is opportunities for it to be so positive, and I don't think we're there yet, but I think we understand and starting to understand the influence that it can have. And I just hope more positive shifts are made because the awareness and the the opportunity to get a message across is really easy in that space, I think. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Bianca. So let's go and speak to Rui about the subscription model and how it works because I imagine for most businesses they're pretty much the same you're just changing the product so let's get into it Hoi thank you so much for joining us today thank you Charlotte so I'm going to go straight into it I'm really interested in the subscription model in general I am actually a onto customer I have just outside my flat I have a nice Corsa, which I use the app every month and, and do my bit. So I know exactly how Onto works as a customer, but as someone who, you know, this is your job, can you tell us what is Onto? How did it get started? And, you know, what do you do? Yeah. So uh, first of all, Onto is, uh, is an all-inclusive subscription service. 
where customers can choose. I think we're at 11 brands now of different manufacturers. I think 18 models on our fleet where customers can choose a car on a monthly subscription. That monthly subscription is a true monthly subscription where people only have to commit to us for one month. So if they were to choose not to continue, they can stop after that month period. Thankfully, most people do continue and use it for a while. All-inclusive means that everything is included besides the car. It also includes the insurance on the vehicle. Um, It includes all the maintenance and servicing of the car. But probably what is very, very unique in the subscription world is that we also include free public charging. So our customers get the option of being able to charge for free at any of the BP charging stations, Shell Recharge Network, which includes quite a lot of partners as well. And also with Instavolt and for those who drive a Tesla, also the Tesla superchargers. But roughly, we cover about 60% of all the charges in the UK with those three networks. So charging is included, as I said. Um, all the hassle in terms of ownership, in terms of MOTs or any tax items. For example, everybody is aware that EVs don't pay congestion charge in London, but you do have to register the vehicle. So we, we do that, obviously, for all the cars and pay those fees. So it's an all-inclusive service. And more importantly, it's 100% digital. So customers can download the app. The sign-up process is incredibly easy. It shouldn't take anyone more than 15, 20 minutes. And then if the vehicle that you're looking for as a consumer is available, we'll deliver that car to wherever you want in 72 hours, right? So the entire process to join up is free. There's no upfront costs. As I mentioned, there's no deposit. So ultimately what it is, it's about creating fastest and easiest, most accessible way to get people into EVs, which is really the mission and what we're trying to drive to. Yeah, everything you said, I'm nodding along. The audience can't see me nod, but I'm nodding because I was only meant to have the car for a month. And I think I'm on my fifth month now. (laughs) And it's just so easy to literally have to do nothing. I just typed my name and my driving license and my husband's driving license, whatever, into the app. And then boom, we had the car the next day and then we've had no issues I was very surprised at how seamless the process was and I guess subscription models have changed a lot over time things have got easier because of apps and web developments but I think you guys definitely have that locked I think you've done a really good job at that hence why I'm continuing to to use the car yeah I think what people is realize is how accessible how quick it is to make that decision And I think that's what's exciting because there's a lot of people that are still, a lot of consumers, even though they may say, I have the intent, I recognize the environment and what's going on in the world, I should go EV. But when they start thinking about it, you know, it's a difficult journey, typically, if you have to make that choice. And it's not just about what car, it's then about how do I charge? And you have all these questions, right? And the fact that we make it so easy, because a lot of people, one of the first challenges people have is range anxiety, but then the next challenge is, oh, it's charging anxiety. Where do I charge? How do I charge? (laughs) Um, So, you know, the fact that we include this all in the bundle just makes that transition so seamless and so easy for people. Absolutely. And who is your customer? Because as a customer, I found it easy and I think you've, you mentioned just now that ease, but I'm quite lazy when it comes to personal admin <laughs> and also just really bad. I even have a PA and I find everything admin wise quite difficult, whereas this is very easy to use. Is your target audience like that kind of lazy millennial or like who are you trying to hit? I, I definitely have to check with the marketing teams. I don't know <laughs> if we've ever come up with that kind of, uh, but if we can find the lazy millennials, uh, yeah, no, um, <laughs> It's interesting. I mean, first and foremost, bear in mind that we have a huge variety of vehicles in our fleet. So if you think about, we start everything with some more cost-effective vehicles on the car. So Fiat 500s, Zoe's, Corsas. And we go all the way up, you know, a huge range of vehicles, 18 different models, all the way up to an Audi e-tron, right? And we're talking an Audi e-tron is probably three times the price of some of the other vehicles. So even within that, you already have a huge, huge difference in terms of who these people are, demographics. But what we can say is the vast majority are people that are coming for the first time into an EV. The cars are, and our customers are typically concentrated more in the urban areas. So London, Manchester, Glasgow, uh, Birmingham, but a lot of people that are commuting. And, And we typically find millennials, yes, quite a large proportion of millennials. 
So it's a lot of people that are doing the transition to EVs are actually using us as that transition, but clearly also people that really do appreciate, as you flagged, the lack of the hassle, right? I just don't, I forget. I have a car, I forget. But also the fact that I have the flexibility, a lot of our customers, I think it's over 35% of our customers, at some point within their first six months, they like to swap vehicles. So even though they like a certain car, they want to have the opportunity to try something else or because they might have a change in need where I need something bigger or actually the opposite. I'm going to save money for a couple of months. I'm going to go to something smaller. And then so it gives people a flexibility. And this is something that people are starting to recognize more and more in which people appreciate. The real important thing is giving people that control, right? I choose, I choose how long, I choose what. And we find that flexibility element is really what makes it very important for our customers. That is really important. Something we always talk about on the podcast is with if we take it back to sustainability, in order to be like the most sustainable version of yourself, we obviously have to be quite prepared because a lot of the stuff you need to do actually takes a lot of time or thought, even like shopping. Remember to pack your tote bags. Yeah. You have to take plastic bags. You have to be switched on, whereas this is kind of doing that all for you. How can subscription model services maximize resources and ensure that they are managing overconsumption? I mean, one of the reasons why that we're able to do what we do is because of the efficiencies that we have in the supply chain. So it's everything from even sourcing the cars and being able to put this all into a package. And because of the fact we've digitized all processes, automated all our processes, we're incredibly lean as an organization. And that's why we can achieve because we do have to bear in mind our proposition actually from a value point of view is quite competitive. If people actually sit down and do the math, what would it take me, you know, to lease a car, to then pay for the insurance myself, do the charging myself. And the only way we can achieve that is because we have a lot more efficient process, which eliminates all the waste that traditional models typically have. Right. So that is one thing, but I would probably say the most people that have a car Probably the easiest way for you to become a more sustainable individual is just to drive an electric vehicle. And that is such an easy switch right there. And if we facilitate that switch, I think that's really where we are driving the the biggest improvement and the biggest contribution we can make, right? Is trying to get people into an EV. And probably the thing that I'm probably most proud of is that we do have customers that leave, but we do know that 90% of the customers that leave onto we know they go back into an EV. So for us, that's mission accomplished, right? And that is incredibly important, right? They're not going to go back into a petrol or diesel and continue polluting. I love that. You're like the gateway to EVs, which yeah. makes sense, actually, because a lot of the time, short-term leases, or I don't even know if you would describe yours as short-term lease. because it's Subscription. Like, yeah, it's monthly. It's a subscription. Because yeah. everyone always asks me, oh, what's your car situation? I'm like, oh, I have a car that I subscribe to every month. And they're like, a lease? And they're Kind of, but not. I guess if we ever were to buy a car after this, we would definitely think about getting an EV. This is like a nice test because we could try out like five different cars in the next couple of months. Exactly. And I mean, I I take my generation, right? I've been driving for, my God, over 35 years, right? And all I've ever known is petrol or diesel. And to suddenly have to switch to something else, it is a big leap of faith. But Mm -hmm. if the leap of faith that you have to make requires that I had to pay 3,000 pounds deposit and then commit to 36 months. And then what if I don't like this EVs? And wait a second, they, I, I can't drive to Glasgow in one stop, which nobody does anyways, right? But always, everybody always gives that, gives that example. The fact that I can take it for a month and really try it makes that transition very easy. And again, that's why a lot of the people that become our customers are brand new to EVs. It's the first experience they're having. I am that person. So that's definitely, <laughs> so, so I'm just thinking, did, did I drive an EV before? No. So my last question, which I think I know the answer to this on your side, but do you think that the in-person product market will eventually move fully online? What benefits or pitfalls would this have for the environment? So when I'm thinking about the cars side, I'm thinking about going to a showroom, working with a salesperson to sell me a car. Um, that for me always felt like a really like stressful process. Um, and on two seems to be there's no sales there it's just like choose the no. one, go for it I think you're going to say yes because you already have an app and you have a website and they work well <laughs> but do you think that there's you know we're going to move 
fully online or do you think there'll still be space for real life? I still think there'll be some space, right? I, I still think there's going to be people, you know, the expression of kicking the tires, right? There's still going to yeah. be people going to want to go there and, and touch it and feel it. But that's okay. I mean, I think the the mission that we have with what we offer is I believe that the biggest part of the market is going to, you know, purely go online and, and go through these types of services. And if we can lead that and we can help lead that and more importantly, help drive people into EVs, we will continue to do so. But it doesn't mean that 100% of the market is going to go that way. There'll still be room for, for others and for people that want other types of experiences. But I, th- I think the important thing is that because we are so much faster, we're so more efficient, I think we can accelerate the adoption of EVs. And that's where, where we focus on. Amazing. I thought you were going to say, absolutely. It's all going to be on the app. No one needs anything. So that was, yeah, quite interesting. No, it's. I, I think there's always going to be some people that are still going to want to go out there and see, you know. And we do have to bear in mind, there's still going to be quite a long transition, even for the adoption of EVs. I mean, we're still in the infancy. We have to bear that in mind, yeah. right? We're still... We got to get to 100% of all new car sales by 2035, but it's still it's still a relatively small portion of the market, growing very quickly, but still relatively small. Yeah, you're right. And there's also a lot that needs to be done to catch up with it as well. You were saying about charging stations. There are lots of charging stations, but there are also a few problems with a lot of them, which I found in my journey. But there's a lot of work we've done an episode on lithium batteries in the last seasons and there's a lot of work going into it especially in the uk absolutely. so yeah absolutely it's a very exciting time the one thing that we can say is these models that that go more digital i'm not just talking about onto but obviously we, i think we're playing a big role in that but all of these models that can digitize streamline any processes what you get is you get the efficiencies and, and this is again a little bit i'm repeating myself but why we can be so cost-effective versus other models, despite the fact that we're offering an all-inclusive package, right? It's getting those efficiencies in the processes that we put in place. So you would never have that if we had to do it the old way, where we had a a site where people had to come and see us and walk around the showroom. It just wouldn't work. That's so true, actually. Ah, well, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Hui Fajeda, the Ontu's Chief Commercial Officer with us today. Thank you very much. A massive thank you to Hui for joining us and talking that through with us. Fantastic. Instead of doing a sustainably influenced sustainability score, (laughs) we're going to do, for this very last episode of the season, a roundup of some of our favourite episodes for this season. I don't want to start, but... We've spoken about quite a few different topics on this Makers season. Yeah. And I think my favourite to research so far, I should say. Yeah. So this has been my favourite season in terms of learning and educating myself because yeah. it's topics that I wouldn't necessarily spend any time learning, learning <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, it was quite so random. I think, yeah, it was random, but totally fun at the same time. And I've, yeah. enjoyed, I've enjoyed it. So right. which one was your favourite? So my favourite was the beekeeping episode my episode yes you should see my face I'm so happy (laughs) oh my god no but I really was I found it really interesting I actually have a real big interest in bees that's really random thing to say but I did that why you're friends with me bee oh my god yeah (laughs) I didn't even think that no uh so (laughs) no I have a really big interest in bees I've always found them quite fascinating I did a campaign with Arla I said this in that episode and we talked about the importance of bees and when they approached me, I was super excited because I actually love bees. Mm. And then on the BBC podcast, I also do. We talked about bees for like a second when we talked about changing of the guard for the bees. What was that called? Oh, um, the, tell- the telling, telling of the, of the bees. bees when the queen um, and that was so interesting. And then when you mentioned it in this episode, I actually didn't really know much about it. I had to like look it up. And then you were like, oh, we're talking about bees. And I was like, oh, I know something about bees. And that's all, like, all I actually really knew. But I just find it fascinating and they are so important to us and just the whole environment. The whole of the world. Our, econ- yeah. our ecosystem. Without and them, we'd be nothing. Exactly. For me, I loved two episodes. I really enjoyed doing the conversations that I had for the jewellery episode. Nice. I enjoyed my conversations because, you know, jewellery is something that I love. Yeah. Like, it's like a big thing for me. But I think it's something that we could really... 
If we did another episode on that, I feel like I could probably go on for like two, three hours. Um, But I think my favorite episode was the upholstery one. Yeah, because that was, that was something episode. that I. It was yeah, it was a strong, strong. It was a strong episode. That was mine, right? Yeah, that yeah. was yours. But that, I think it makes sense for us to like each other's because we didn't do the research on yeah. it, so we sat and we learnt something. Exactly. But for me, I think not only was it nice to have a guest in the studio. Yeah. Your nan was on it, and she's my favorite person, and I love her. Yeah, same. She smashed that episode. She was great. And what I love. I don't think she knows how to access the podcast outside of me, me playing it to her. So I should actually just play it to her because she'll love listening, actually. She really likes you, so there's that. But I just loved how confident she was. And afterwards, she's like, yeah, I did a podcast. She was telling me, she was like, I was controlling her. I was telling her where to put this and that. She said, I wanted to make sure that the sound was good and that I wasn't being recorded. Um, that we weren't doing video. I was like, love you. Love that energy. She's yeah, the best. She's Amazing. So let's bring her on next season for something yeah. else. Yeah. She can literally talk about anything. <laughs> and finally, we have some news. So this is possibly one of my last episodes of Sustainably Influenced. We're actually holding hands as I'm saying this. Because, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm crying because um, it's just really hard to say that. But, oh, no, Bianca's crying. <laughs> I'm good. I'm keeping um, it in. But we have had such an incredible journey over the last three years. Yeah. Literally in like a month, three years. And I feel like Bianca is ready to take this one on her own. Charlotte's um, still going to be part Yeah, of the I'm going to be like a special guest. I'm still going to be doing loads of stuff with the podcast, but just not actively on, yeah. on the recordings or exactly. on the episodes, I should say. So this is my farewell. Not, no, it's no. my see you later. Yeah, it's your see you later because you're not leaving. You're just yeah. taking a step back. I'm taking a step back. To do other things at the moment. Yeah. And that's good. It's, exactly. a, it's a positive thing. And then when we need her, we'll call her back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll probably be back every episode. Like, oh, guys, <laughs> We've made this it. announcement. Jokes. <laughs> just kidding. So but I yeah. know we made that big announcement, but I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, for now, this is what we think might be my last episode for yeah. a bit. So um, I just want to say thank you everyone to listening to my voice. I've really enjoyed doing this. There's so many people that I've spoken to. My husband, he met someone in a random country from another random country who he was talking about me and what I do. And she was like, oh my God, I listen. I know exactly who Charlotte is. And she's friends with Bianca, right? And he was like, how do you know my wife? And she was like, I don't. I listen to their podcast. Everybody knows us. <laughs> so I was like, he was like, I've never been so proud. My wife is famous on the internet, but only audio. <laughs> but I loved it. And I just think it's so great. I get to connect with all of you people and I'm still going to continue that. But um, for now, I'm going to do it from afar. Yeah. So thank you so much for being amazing. So, thank you, Bianca. That's all right, babe. Oh, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to keep myself together and I'm going to wrap up this episode and say thank you all for listening to this season of Sustainably Influenced. We're going to be coming back next week. Well, it will be just be me next week doing our mini series before I come back for season seven in 2023. So, ah. yeah, have a great rest of the year. Bye. Bye. Sustainably Influenced is hosted by Bianca Foley and me, Charlotte Williams. This season was produced by Content is Queen, sound edited by Amber Miller. And a big thanks to our researcher, Anna Stoney. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.